0: I know I certainly am a better person because of my drug use. I mean, think I'm a more sensitive person, person who is more concerned about the environment around me, people around me, uh, certainly more than I was before. Welcome to the Set and Setting Podcast with Madison Margolin. As a journalist, Madison has spent years exploring the intersection of psychedelics, cannabis, and culture. This podcast brings together thought leaders from today's psychedelic renaissance to talk about the role of psychedelics in our inner and outer lives. You can support this podcast and find additional resources at BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Madison.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Set and Setting podcast. I'm really excited that we have Dr. Carl Hart with us. He's a neuroscientist and psychologist at Columbia University and author of a new book, Drug Use for Grownups, Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. Uh, Dr. Hart, thank you so much for being here today.
0: Hey, Madison. You know, it's always a pleasure to see you. You know that. So glad (laughs) to be here.
1: Likewise. So, you know, Dr. Hart really is one of my favorite people to interview. You know, I think he's one of the best minds on drug policy that our generation has, um, so why don't we just start with where, you know, how did you get to where you are today? Like what, you know, what's your well, start
0: with it? Well, that's a high compliment coming from you. So thank you. <laughs> um Well, I got here, uh, I guess I started studying drugs in the late 80s, early 90s, and uh, um, I was influenced heavily by the whole just say no generation kind of thing. And so I was searching for some neural mechanism to help people stop using drugs. Um, And so along the way, this 30-year career, um, I kind of realized that uh, much of what we talk about or what we say, what we teach about drugs, um, was nonsense. And um, so, I mean, but that 30-year path meant that I studied rats, I studied humans, given each of these animals uh, drugs and then studying the effects. Um, and I hope I learned a few things along the way that uh, people find helpful.
1: Mm -hmm. And so what, you know, what is the premise you would say of your own personal like drug philosophy? Right. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess my own drug philosophy is just like anything in life, any philosophy in terms of. I was heavily influenced by some basic principles that people have the right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And um, so that's live their life like they see fit, whatever it, it may be, as long as they don't prevent other people from enjoying such rights. Um, um, that's just basic. And I feel that way about drugs, uh, sex, um, any um, a wide range of things. And so um, um, it's that, that keeps it Really simple for me.
1: And do you think, you know, one thing that we've talked about in the past is that like people are kind of all looking for sort of a similar thing, right? When they go for a certain drug or they go to meditate or they go to do anything, they're really just looking to feel good, right? So should, Mm. you know, they're, I mean, I think part of your work, what's been inspiring to me is like breaking down this kind of drug or experience hierarchy that, kind of persists in the culture where you have this dichotomy or you know false dichotomy I should say between quote good drugs and bad drugs and really like the reasons that people are going to you know different types of substances are all sort of to feel good or would you, would you say that that's part of it or is there something you know what what is the or is it more complex than that I guess
0: No, I I think it's absolutely what you said. Although we use different language to explain this thing of feeling good or alter state, however you explain it, um, but we're all seeking similar things. We're seeking um, to alter our consciousness and whatever that means for us. Um, uh, But I think um, we oftentimes uh, divide ourselves by saying that my substance is better than your substance and when we're all seeking the same thing. So I'm just trying to help people to understand that um, uh, we should allow people to uh, live as they see fit.
1: Right. And, you know, one thing I'm just like, as I'm asking you this question, I'm imagining the critics out there are going to say, well, someone who's reaching for, you know, a, a quote, addictive drug, like, you know, cocaine or heroin or whatever is, you know, they think they're doing it to feel good, but there's like this, you know, sinister mechanism going on and you know my response to that often is like in some cases sure but the same reason you know i've seen people reach to psychedelics and cannabis and whatever with with also you know not the the purest of intentions always or not with an intention at all which is maybe you know part of it so what what is your response you know to that sort of uh, argument or criticism
0: yeah i'm glad you said that you know i forget about these arguments is, you know, because all, I mean, all of these years you get these same arguments and like, I move on, but people are still there. And so I'm glad you said that. Uh, For example, with something like heroin, people would say, uh, well, it produces physical dependence. Um, uh, Well, so does antidepressants. And so, um, yeah, uh, you have some drugs that produce more physical dependence than other drugs. That's absolutely true but it doesn't mean that somehow these drugs uh, magically control people. Um, um, they, uh, I know the stories that we tell, and we tell these stories, even people who, for example, may have had a problem with heroin. I mean, for them, even some, not all, but some will say, yeah, it's really powerful at some level. And then what they're also saying at some um, subliminal level is that, this was so powerful, it would have killed a normal person. But me, I could handle this kind of thing. Um, And that's uh, disconcerting or troubling because um, none of these drugs are magical uh, like that. And um, uh, so to think that somehow this drug... Um, causes some person to lose their ability to have control versus that drug. Um, And that's that's more myth than reality. And that myth uh, drives a lot about drug policy and the way we look at certain drugs. Um, And that's part of the reason in the book I came out and I said, yeah, of course I use heroin. I use all of these drugs. Just to show people that, uh, on the one hand, to show people that... uh, The people who you think are drug users are not necessarily that image. Uh, And then another reason is to show people that, okay, if you're going to be out here and you say these things, then I know that I have to be hyper-responsible or because anything that I do that's screwed up, people will blame heroin, even though I said I use cannabis, even though I said I use MDMA, even though I said I use cocaine and all the rest of these drugs they're going to blame the devil drug the one that's uh, been uh so vilified and so uh i i try i'm trying to live an example uh at least an example in public that people can uh, can see that much of what they've been told is just nonsense and um and that it another thing that happens here in with this conversation is that people take from what i just said that, oh, there's no risk to using heroin or these. That's not what I'm saying. There is risk... Uh, in a lot of behaviors and activity that we do and enjoy, um but the, I'm saying that the risks have been overstated, and I'm not saying that you should be stupid when you do this because you still have to be careful uh, just like you have to be careful when you drive an automobile
1: mm-hmm. I mean, just to orient the audience to this conversation, you know that what what Dr. Hart is talking about is this concept of psychedelic exceptionalism, where you know, the idea that psychedelics are inherently better or than other drugs um, or psychedelics and cannabis. Um, what's funny is, you know, going, you know, kind of uh, taking a step back and looking at, you know, this, where we're at on the Be Here Now network, we're talking, you know, sort of tribute to Ramdas. Um, There's this method or this, sorry, this, this myth that after Ram Dass went to India and was with the guru, he stopped taking acid. And so, you know there are first people who are like above or you know act as if they're like above certain types of drugs and then there's people who want to believe that like they're beyond drugs in general and you know that's not true um Ramdas did take acid even after he you know came into himself as Ramdas um and so you know what i guess what what i want to understand and maybe from you as a neuroscientist is you know he was looking for this way to sort of stay high right like he kept coming up and he kept coming down and he goes to india and is with the guru and kind of learns methods of being here now that enable him to maintain or harness like this feeling of presence that you have when you're high so like what what is the neurological mechanism of highness right like what is it this what is this feeling this flow state whatever that people are seeking again through acid through an opiate through cannabis whatever whatever the thing is through meditation even
0: you know, when you talk about the neural mechanism, uh, um, we don't know. I know people will oftentimes say some nonsense like, "Oh, is dopamine in the mesolimic dopamine pathway," or, um, but we we don't know. At least I don't know, and the literature doesn't know. Um, and so, um, I, I think we are still searching for that. Um, but the way we ask those questions in terms of research. Um, means that it's going to be a long time before we get there. And so I would really just encourage people to um, look at the behavior of folks or um, be there and see what you observe. And uh, I think that tells you uh, far more than me speculating about some neurotransmitter in the nucleus accumbens of comments or some brain region. Um, that I talk about that people won't understand because I don't understand. And most of the people who talk about this in that way don't understand it.
1: Would you say though that like when people are seeking the experience of being high, is it that they're trying to find a way to be present? Like, is that what, what people want, you know, from an experience?
0: I think some people, you know, um, it, it's really idiosyncratic. And I think that's the thing that we have to make sure that we um, um, stay mindful of is like, what I'm seeking um, uh, might be slightly different uh, in terms of um, um, how we describe these things, but uh, it's an alter state it's for all of us. And uh, what I want from my altered state might be different from what you want from your altered state. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think being present is important. It's certainly mm-hmm. important to me, but I just don't want to say that it's important to someone else. And when I when I don't know, mm-hmm. um, but I want to give them the space to experience whatever they like.
1: Is being present in like the fullest sense of the word an altered state? Would you say?
0: Oh, wow. Certainly in um, the U.S. culture because, um, <laughs> um yeah, I, I think it's, it is in the U.S. context. Um, the U.S. context is really uh, disappointing to me um, I, um, in this respect uh, because um, it seems like it's so hard to actually be present with people or it seems like they're that's an aberration as opposed to uh, the norm you know, like being mm-hmm. present full of, giving people your full attention while you are talking to them um yeah, I think people too they need to learn how to do that in some cases um and so it's not their fault it's just that it's not what we really value or we have shaped in our society. So, um, so maybe we, we need to do a better job of helping people to understand what it means to be present. And many of us who uh, are psychoactively altered at times, um, uh, enjoy that feeling and have been there and, um, uh, seek to hang out with people who are there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't. I I, I think that uh, I, I know. I didn't know how to be present before, so uh, I'm not sure if other people
1: uh, do you feel the Know same how same. to be present now, or do you have rich like, ways of doing it?
0: Well, oh, absolutely. I mean, this is what I tried to describe in my book. You know, I gave people kind of a tour of. Uh, Certain drug classes and how I use uh, these substances, and and what what I was describing certainly uh, hope um, was being present and um, uh, being also uh, grateful and forgiving, and all of those things. Um, just being happy to be a part of this sort of human experience. Um, um, yeah. So um, <laughs> that's one of the joys of being an expert or knowing something about pharmacology, uh, you, you know, how to use the tools to help you get to the state that you want to be in.
1: Mm-hmm. So what, you know, what is the, I guess for you, what's your practice of, of presence or getting yeah. into, you know, flow state?
0: Leaving the United States number one <laughs> and, um, you know in the United States we're so moralistic about everything and um, and then so we've we made laws to ban these these substances, and so I have to make sure that i 'm careful um, and i can 't do certain things in the United States in part because if uh, if I get in trouble, then again people will point to drug use or something of that nature. So being present in my practice is that, you know, like I'm living between the U.S. and Switzerland um, now, and I'm just trying to find a place where I can be present uh, on a more regular basis. And that is, I can do psychoactive substances that are my choice and not be paranoid about the police or some friends who are narcs or whatever. All of these kind of things that make it hard to be present and it makes it hard to um, treat people well and be magnanimous towards folks. So um, so the first step for me is to get, leave the country. Um, and And then I feel a lot freer, which is ironic because many people uh, say stupid shit like this is the freest country in the world. Uh, And then, you know, I can't be free in the U.S.
1: Mm -hmm. What, you know, another thing that I have always kind of found frustrating with the conversation around mindfulness and being here now and whatever is that it feels um, very self-referential, like it's like for the sake of itself and which... You know, may, who am I to say that that's not the case? Like, why not just be present just just because? Because it's why, because it's a good experience. Because that's maybe what humans should be doing. Should in quotes. But like, you know, I've always said, like, you know, how when you're present in a world where if you're if you're present to everything, then then like you're going to notice things that you want to change about the here and now right and mm-hmm. and if you don't notice those things maybe there's like an element of dissociation going on or you're just kind of numbing out to it in your presence and then that's not really present and it's this whole cycle and so you know my having grown up sort of with with Ramdas and like as with be here now as you know kind of like the bible of our family in a lot of ways um you know my next question was like okay and so what you know like all of you you know older baby boomer hippies are being here now in my living room um and like we're in the middle of los angeles and homelessness just rose 12% in a year and you know there's all these other things going on in the world so i you know i don't want to say there has to be a purpose to being present but for me it's like maybe be present so that you can then be present in action and not just in sitting still and you know, being in the, the Bob, as they say, or being in your high. Um, so what, you know, do you have a philosophy around that? Like why, you know, how, how these states of, you know, of, uh, these high states can really like enable us to then move, move in the world in healthy and functional ways.
0: Well, it's a, it's a big question, you know, um, We're in a moment in our history where uh, uh, young people are active in questioning what our society did before us, before this time, and trying to set things right, which is a good thing, you know? It's making us all kind of look at ourselves. Uh, The thing that we have to be careful of, too, is that uh, we can't, like, solve every problem and every— or. An individual person does not have the skills to solve every problem. And so that's the thing that people have to understand. They have to understand what their skill sets are and then focus on um, where they can contribute, uh, aid in making us better. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, everyone can't be good at activity A. Um, um, so that some people may have to do activity B to make the society better, and others do activity C. So, uh, one of the things that we want just want people to understand is that you gotta get some skills in some area and focus on that area because you can't do everything. When you do that, then you do ap- absolutely nothing. Um. Uh, that's uh, I think that's one of the things that we, we have to be careful about. And then when we are in altered states, for example, sometimes I can see things that I couldn't see uh, in terms of my own behavior. Like, oh, damn, I have to treat these people, this person better, and I didn't realize I caused this harm here. And so sometimes, you know... Um, being in those states are really helpful for doing the work of uh, helping to create a better world or doing our part to create a better world. So, um, I, I, w- I don't want to minimize people's time in those states because, you know, in that moment, you can do some really good work. I, I know I, I certainly uh, am a better person because of my drug use. I mean, I'm, I'm certainly. Uh, I think I'm a more uh, sensitive person, I'm more, a person who's more concerned about um, the environment around me, people around me, uh, certainly more than I was before.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you, um, you know, do you think that a measure of a relationship with someone's practice or drug use or whatever is like sort of then like how they're spending the rest of their Time in their life in a way that is like healthy or functional. If, sorry, does that make sense? I'm not. I don't. I don't think I phrased the question. Yeah,
0: I, I think uh, the, the, as I understand it, uh, the thing that I like, I try and be careful about is like, uh, like what my responsibility here, and one of my main responsibility is to like fight for people's right to live their life like they want, not how I think they should live, but how they want. You know, it would be nice. If people um, um, contribute in the way that I am contributing or what have you. But I understand, too, that that's their life and they have one. And if if they're not preventing other people from living as they see fit, why I, I, I have no say so about their life. And I don't want to. Yeah, because then we start to get into this sort of um, place where we think we know what's best for other people. And I don't. Um, that's why we ban drugs and some of these other things. And that's why some groups have been discriminated against in certain ways, because of this idea of we know what's best and how they should behave and how what they should do. And I, I don't know how people should live their life. And I don't want to tell them how they should live their life.
1: Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to also backtrack on it, not backtrack on, but just something that you were saying and it, it sparked this idea is, you know, when we're when we're in a drug experience or an altered state and whatever, there's this element of like being in touch with the soul, and you know, like when we're when we're in touch with the soul, then that really is like our compass in a lot of ways for how we move through the world, you know, how we pursue interests or treat people or whatever. If we're aligned with the soul, and so. That the term soul is really not something that um, you hear a lot in the scientific community. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so I wanted to kind of gauge your reaction to that is, you know, as a neuroscientist, psychologist, you know, you're in academia, how often is it that you're allowed? I don't want to say allowed, but you can talk freely about this concept. And if you're not using the term soul, then like, what are you using?
0: Uh, The the concept never comes up in in, in science, (laughs) certainly not neuroscience that I'm aware of. Um, You you know, um, for me, it's a big question because um, I have to think about how I have spent my career and how I like to move forward. And... I am uh, really feeling suffocated in science like this, um, in part because um, uh, we don't, not in my science, interrogate the big questions like what makes people happy? Um, what nourishes their soul? You know, we, we don't ask those kind of questions. Uh, um, uh, instead, we are focused a lot on pathology. These people who are having problems, how do we solve their problems? Which is obviously an important thing. But uh, what about the vast majority who are not? how How do they? How do we focus on nourishing them? And um, uh, we don't. We don't deal with that. That's why, um, in part why i am trying to figure out how to retire how to get out um because i'm trying to figure out how to live better and we don't talk about that in science how we how do how we live better i mean for uh, not only me but the people around me and uh, the environment around us uh, that's not a question you know, even that you even when you asked, it it's like it throws me off because I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have much experience with the question and I'm ignorant to the question.
1: Yeah, it's it's all good. I, you know, I know that was a little bit of a wild card. I didn't prep you for that one. No, um, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason I ask is because, you know, especially when you're talking about like psychedelics and science, you know, that people talk about the quote unquote mystical experience and... You know, in scientific terms, right? Like the sense of oneness or transcendence of time and space, and I, I feel like it's hard—at least for me—if I'm talking about my own personal experiences with any drug, really. Like it's hard to, um, to not to dance around this, the t- topic of soul and like not call attention to it or at least mention it once. Um, but you mentioned something also, which reminds me of this idea of taking psychedelics and I'm going to take, take out the term psychedelics, taking any drug for like the betterment of well people, so to speak. And you talked about living better, living well. So what, what does that mean? Like whether for you personally, or if you have more of like a general uh, definition for what it means to live well or better?
0: Yeah. um, So one of the things that, um, one of the sort of gauges for me is I think about, um, I'm, for example, when I was the chair of the, the department uh, my department i uh, I used to go home every day thinking about like uh, my interactions with people as a chair, particularly junior people and I used to think about um, th- have any of my interactions, uh, negatively impacted people such that they negatively impact their loved ones. And so that's how I, I, I think I try to make sure that my interactions with people do not lead to them negatively, uh, impacting others around them. Um, uh, so I try to be conscious of that. Um, and that's one of the ways that, um, uh, trying to live better. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to be happier, too, because if I'm happy, you know, uh, that means that I'm more likely to treat people around me better. Um, That's why um, I have to leave the U.S. because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's really just disturbs me and how adolescent we are around the conversation about drugs um, and how puritanical and how we clutch our pearls about this subject uh, as adults. And so it it causes me frustration and I don't want to have that frustration be put on other people. And Mm -hmm. so that's why I just have to get out.
1: It's, you know, it's interesting to hear you sort of talk about happiness as this priority, right? And I don't feel like that's really prioritized in our culture or the conversation as much as people would like to claim it is, and you know I've I've done a lot of um, reporting also on religion and specifically like ultra orthodox communities, and one source said this, which I thought was just so perfect was the point of there are two types of people: the type of people who see that religion is supposed to make you happier, and the type of people who think it's supposed to you know like make you miserable and you run away from it, and. <laughs> You know, I think with drugs, too, it's like the point is just to be happy or to be happier. And then, you know, you're moving through the world as a happy person. And what I get frustrated with in in the discourse today, especially around the plant medicine community and like psychedelic cultures, people always talk about doing the work. And I feel like the term work, it's like, I'm going to stop using that term myself, but the the term work, especially in like a capitalist paradigm, you think of something that's just like drudge and you're like dragging your feet through the thing and it it, by definition can't be fun and it can't be something that is an enjoyable experience even if you come out of this grueling ayahuasca session or something feeling lighter, happier, having quote done the work, which again, in my definition, doing the work is like, living your daily life sober or not doing the things that are part of integrating those like experiences. And so, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's this irony that people, again, use the, this language around work and whatever. And it's like, I, my question is, is an is this even making you happier, right? Like the amount of friends I know who've like gone to South America and had miserable experiences, and then trying to like justify it because they did the work and paid three thousand dollars for, you know, a retreat or something. It just is laughable, and I I don't mean to offend anybody who might be listening. Yeah,
0: same here. I don't I don't mean to either, but uh, again, this is. Uh our adolescents in this country uh, about these things. Um, for example, like we all have to do it this way. And it's like, no, we all do not have to do it this way. You do it in a way that it comforts you and that's right for you. Um, and that's, that's why the important it's so important to allow people to live their life as they see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole psychedelic uh, movement, this whole sort of thing it's so troubling at so many levels for me um because um invariably there will be some awful event that happens that will blame these drugs invariably because that's how it always worked. And of course, it won't be these drugs. It'll be some stupid human stupidity, basically. Uh, but then it will, again, um, uh, allow the society to, abla- to blame these drugs, just like they blame uh, heroin, just like they blame cannabis uh, previously. And so, But the society never steps back and reflect and say, OK, we said these awful things about alcohol before. We banned alcohol, and then we reversed it, and oh, all right, maybe those things weren't true. Okay, we said these awful things about cannabis uh, before um, and don't have any real new knowledge today, but yet our views have changed. Is it possible that the same is true with all of these drugs that we banned? So the society never reflects like that. And so that's why the the current psychedelic movement, it kind of troubles me, disturbs me, um, how um, people are enthusiastic about a certain class or number of drugs in this class and without thinking about drugs in general. Um, And so when you do that, you are prone to make some really big mistakes and i can see it coming um and so we should brace ourselves for it but don't blame the drugs but we will uh, even though i say that
1: so meaning to say that like you know at the rate that the psychedelic space is hurtling forward something is going to happen and it's going to oh of course that yeah yeah i mean that's just you know it happened in the 60s too of course and you know we I don't really see that there would be such a backlash in the same way that there was, you know, 50 years ago. But who knows? I mean, I
0: hope not. But, you know, there are so many things that I couldn't predict. Uh, and so I, I, I don't know. I hope there won't be such a backlash. But you, you know it's coming. Um, these drugs are going to be blamed for some horrific event.
1: Well, I mean, that's why I feel like uh, policies like Oregon's um, all drug decrim measure that passed last year are so important. And, you know, as, you know, we're seeing like each jurisdiction piecemeal, like decriminalize psychedelics, like I, as great as that is, and I, you know, of course, you know, that'll keep going. But like, I think there should be more just like all drug decrim stuff because when you're parsing out a certain class of drugs... You know, then it's you get you know, you're running the risk that you're talking about, whereas like you eat when you equalize everything and like put psychedelics on par with with everything else that you would decriminalize, it kinda like muddies the conversation in a positive way, in that like we're just talking about decriminalizing drugs and the emphasis isn't on something that's gonna like then carry the blame for an inevitable you know, absolutely bad thing that happens.
0: Absolutely. I mean that's what Portugal did. They decriminalized everything. Of course, that's what Spain did. Even Colombia, they have decriminalized everything. Um, um, one of the things that I had hoped we'd do better in this country is just kind of look at what happens around the world. And, and you know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You, we can just... Um, borrow what's happened around the world, but um, American exceptionalism prevents us from doing such a thing.
1: I mean, I think it also prevents like healthier conversations around harm reduction, you know, like when you're talking about whether it's like having, you know, you have like the concept of a, a bar, which has like yet to translate to any other substance pretty much. You know, there are some cannabis lounges and you have now safe injection facilities and eventually there will be like brick and mortar you know, Zendo safe zones where people can go trip safely. But, you know, again, if you just say like these are drug using spaces and kind of open it up in that more generalized way, like maybe, again, it would not only um, integrate the drug cultures themselves, I think, which you see a lot of like dichotomy with the psychedelic people and the, you know, the heroin people and this community and that community. Um there's, you know, there's a lot of secret. I don't, yeah. Like I'll say, like secret overlap. Like there's so many psychedelic users who who use other drugs and don't talk about it. And you know, one of my really close friends, he's a, he's just like a drug experiencer of everything. Like heroin is like his homepage, you know. And he he does, uh, you know, he he does heroin, and he's, you know, will try any psychedelic. That's you know any obscure drug just because he wants the experience of these of these these drugs. And so I'll call him a psychonaut, but society is going to call him like a, a heroin user. And that's, yeah. I feel like that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, uh, because of course, heroin is the most salacious uh, of the drugs that we're, we're talking about right now. Um, when we talk about like the bars that we have in these sort of spaces, it's, it's important to point out too that um, when you use in a bar and alcohol that you purchase has quality control. So this, it's regulated. And so we don't have to worry about adulterants like you do when you go to a supervised consumption facility. People bring their own substances and you still run the risk of people having tainted substances. So that's why it's important to regulate these things in a way that when people get them, they at least that is not a concern in terms of quality. And that does so much. Um, uh, But in terms of like people um, identifying or being identified as a specific type of drug, you like a heroin user, um, that will remain the same way until um, we change the image of a heroin user. You know, you might Um, uh, think back to I don't know the 70s when Cheech and Chong were doing their movies and um, and we were uh, laughing at the pot user as being stupid or whatever the stereotype were were. but those stereotypes are not the same way today because more people uh, have been out of the closet about the cannabis use and so you can't pigeonhole a cannabis user as being just one thing. They're all of us, they're everything. The same is true with the heroin user, but uh, the public knows only this unidimensional sort of picture that's painted in the press, in media, movies, and all this sort of thing. Um, And so until we have more people come out and say that they use heroin, it's going to stay this way. Mm -hmm. And we understand why people... Uh, are reluctant to say that because then they are vilified. Uh, right. So we 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 get it. I, I, I certainly understand.
1: One one thing that you were saying as 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 I was listening was um, this concept of quality control. Um, and a lot of people, especially like post cannabis legalization, are really anti legalization because of the way the licensing and the barriers to entry into the you know legal markets. Then just like create a whole other issue, you know, other issues that have to do with classism and racism and all of the issues that we were trying to uh, uh, remedy by by ending the drug war. Um, And this, so how do, you know, is there a way to have a decriminalized um, paradigm where there is quality control, but not in like this obtuse, legal, regulated way? And Well,
0: you know, this is capitalism. So those people who uh, may uh, comment about that, uh, we have to understand that, you you know, those are real concerns about capitalism. But that's separate. That's a different issue here because we want it to be legally regulated. We don't want people going to jail and we want people to be able to use their quality substance without fear of breaking a law. So, with, so that's a good thing. And mm-hmm. um, But one of the things that worries me sometimes is that um, we get people who are virtual signaling and saying uh, things like, well, what about the racism in terms of who has the uh, cannabis license? Only um, these wealthy uh, folks have these licenses. It's like, well, that's capitalism. That's all. Mm-hmm a separate issue. I mean, and, and some states are, are, are trying to deal with that in their, with their legislations. And that's a good thing. You know, like in Colorado and Washington, they were the first to legalize cannabis. They didn't even address this issue. But then subsequently, when you think about what Illinois has done and what New York has done, people are trying to address it, which is a good thing. You know, so we're learning and all of these things are experiments. But the bottom line is that we need to make sure it's legally regulated. That's yeah. number one.
1: That was I was thinking about like how could you do that short of going through like state agencies? And I was thinking, um, you know, like in the Jewish world, you like get kosher certifications from private agencies. And I'm wondering if there could be like, like some sort of nonprofit or something that would provide like a stamp of, uh, you know, that's right. That's that's saying this this has been this is clean. This is this is dosed properly, this is sourced properly or whatever, that isn't going through some sort of like state licensing thing that then costs like 50 grand just to like get your foot in the door.
0: Absolutely. I mean, that, that we certainly can try these kind of things in different states. Uh, um, that, that's, a, that's certainly a good idea to, to think about. Um, but again, you know, it's like, not my expertise yeah. per se, uh, but um, uh, it's certainly something that uh, a conscientious society should be thinking about. Um, um, and um, yeah, that's uh, certainly one of those things that I, I would uh, be interested <laughs> to know how it plays out.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll do more work on that. Mm-hmm. Maybe look into a story on how to regulate without over over um, over regulating or having pay to play licensing. Um, So is there anything else you want to talk about or add before we wrap up here or anything Uh, at all? Yeah. uh,
0: You know, I just dig what you do. I hope you you stay out there and um, stay um, on our community to focus on what's really important Mm -hmm. and, and try not to separate themselves from, I mean, you use one drug and I use another drug and just uh, yeah, I just hope that you continue to uh, remind us uh, to look out for each other's right. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. Well yeah, I mean I just wanna remind everyone that like, you know, to expand what they even consider a drug, right? Like the you know, the effects that pe- that certain things have on people could be like, you know, are activating sort of similar mechanisms in the brain, like with the rapid rewards pathway and um That could be like the internet or sugar or, you know, other things. And so society is certainly on drugs.
0: Yeah, you know, um, the thing is, though, is that we want to be careful about that sort of brain reward system. Because then what happens is that science often sometimes uh, gets a little crazy about it. And then we start to say... Um, that we should like uh, regulate the uh, sugar in the same way we do this sort of thing. It's like um, simply because something activate the, the dopamine, the mesolimic dopamine pathway does not mean um, that it leads to this behavior or um, the behavior is a complicated thing. Um, and so um, I'm reluctant to have people focus on Neural mechanisms to explain complicated behaviors uh, when we have so little information about those things. I mean, you hear people talk about uh, food addiction in the same way they talk about all the rest of these things. It's like, all right, we've already screwed it up with drugs, so now we want to screw it up with food, um, and that's why uh, that's why I want to I want people to be careful about these kind of uh, analogies that they draw.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for, for making that distinction. Um, well, anyways, how can people find you or, you know, follow your work online or whatever?
0: Yeah, you know, um, I'm, I'm writing. Uh, I have a website, drcarlhart.com. Uh, I put some stuff up there and uh, I hope to just keep writing books. Uh, but if you want to like find me, Probably be out of the country if you want to like find <laughs> me in in the flesh. Um, I try to stay out of the U.S. as much as I can.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And you know, you're again one of my one of my favorite people to in interview. One of my drug policy and drug science heroes. So
0: I feel the same about you, Madison. You know that, and you <laughs> know where I'm at always. So sounds yeah. good.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone.